0: you're listening to episode 232 of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I am your host, Kyle Daigle. This week, we uh, are going to make a little change. So um, we've had our great co-hosts, Britt, Joel, and Brian helping out and coming in. And this week, I wanted to bring in a friend, uh, someone I used to work with, Wynn Netherland, uh, who works at Labrador on their APIs to come and talk a little bit about what he's up to with Rails and Sinatra and Ruby. And of course, the conversation devolves a little bit into GraphQL. Um, And this conversation, is uh, pretty technical in comparison to some of our other conversations. So if you've been dying for an episode that really uh, dives in deep into something, this this might be the one for you. Um, and so Wynn is going to be here uh, just this once uh, to talk about uh, you know Rails and Ruby in the real world and what they're doing over there at Labrado, um and if that might be a good thing for you. So uh, stick around, give that a listen. Uh, I mentioned in the episode... If uh, GraphQL isn't really your jam, we do sort of dive in pretty deep. And so uh, I recommend that you go check out graphql.org if you're not that familiar with GraphQL. Uh, It also has links to the Ruby gem from that site. That way you can really follow along with us if uh, if GraphQL isn't really your thing. Uh, but it is uh, a Ruby on Rails podcast, so we do talk about, obviously, Ruby on Rails, um, but how it uh, sort of works with APIs and uh, now this sort of new world with GraphQL that we're uh, going into. Uh, so stick around for that. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you in part by Rollbar. One of the frustrating things we all deal with is errors. Uh, Relying on users to report errors, digging through log files, which is what I was doing earlier today to try to find an error. Uh, With Rollbar's error monitoring, you get the full stack trace, the context, and user data to help you find and fix impactful errors super fast. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, send error alerts to Slack or HipChat, or automatically create new issues in Jira, Pivotal Tracker, and Trello. Adding the Rollbar Ruby SDK is as easy as gem install Rollbar, so you can start tracking application errors in minutes. A few cool features, you can send all the request data from any Rack framework, that's really helpful, especially when we're talking about APIs. If you're using Sinatra for your APIs, this can really help you. It also has built-in support for queue frameworks like Sidekick, Rescue, and Delayed Job. Uh, you can also set up Rollbar's JavaScript SDK uh, automatically, and you can deep link into your GitHub repos. Uh, this is pretty much my favorite feature. When you're looking at it and you're curious what that line of code does, you can just click it, and it'll just show up in your GitHub repository. Easy peasy, fixing errors a lot faster. We have a special offer for listeners. Go to rollbar.com slash ruby, sign up, and you can get the bootstrap plan for free. Again, go to Rollbar.com slash Ruby, sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Go check out Rollbar today for easy, fast error tracking. Again, Rollbar.com slash Ruby. Thanks to Rollbar for sponsoring this podcast. Now on to the show. So, Wynn, how is the weather in Texas?
1: The dual suns of Tatooine have emerged. It's been milder than, I guess, the usual Texas summer, but it's still pretty hot.
0: Yeah, we we just kind of ended our giant humid uh, stint up here, and now we're kind of like creeping into fall really quickly. Like, I mean, tonight and, and last night was beautiful. We were able to use our new fire pit. I actually did some manual labor and built a fire pit and like put in this enormous stone uh, area around it. Uh, not pavers because I'm not that cruel. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I moved uh, along with a friend uh, like I don't know four yards of like pea stone. Uh, to make this fire pit area, and it, it, it came out pretty good, but it's at least not as humid up here, which I think would be the dearth of my existence. Man, that's um, awesome. I love fire there.
1: pits, but it's it's got to wait till October at least before we can break them out down here. <laughs> December.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, awesome. So, Wynn, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Wynn, why don't you uh, introduce yourself a little bit?
1: Sure. My name is Wynn Netherland, um,
0: web engineer, full
1: stack sort of guy been doing this for about 20 years, currently working at Librato, doing mostly API things, but getting back towards the the front end side of development where I started, I guess, in the late 90s when it was really horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so now discovering that whole workflow all over again.
0: Um, and if folks don't know, what does Librato do?
1: Librato is a company that hosts metrics, so much like StatsD or... Uh, Datadog or some other SaaS products that you might use, uh, we host your metrics in the cloud. So your application performing uh, performance monitoring metrics, we store those so you don't have to worry about them and just have a flat metered rate for storing those metrics in the cloud.
0: Awesome. Um, so we know each other from GitHub. I joined GitHub and you were uh, the, the, the one of the API folks, one of the platform folks. And that's kind of how we got up and running. And so it's funny to hear you sort of say like getting back into the front end because <laughs> I recently um, was helping someone out on a project and it had like front end components where like there were views and css and javascript and i have to be honest like i know we've joked in the past about like my skills atrophy but i'm sitting there and i'm just like okay url4 like remind me what i need to do for this because i've become so accustomed to you know um basically just pure ruby at this point
1: it's a different world isn't it i made the joke several years while we were in the midst of doing api Work at GitHub that the browser was no longer my runtime, and it's <laughs> it's kind of a shock getting back into that that flow where your application now, for the most part, served up by just this empty body tag, and then magic happens, and yeah, you have all this code that gets compiled and transpiled and repiled and piled up and sent down <laughs> to the browser.
0: Yeah, and we were uh, like this. This application and um, uh, some other stuff has been uh, relatively JavaScript heavy, which kind of which kind of fits into my mo with the, with all the GraphQL stuff. But still, generally, I'm I'm only really in uh, the back end of things, and I haven't really done too much with Node. Um, so my even my you know JavaScript skills have been a little bit rusty. I was joking with someone uh, the other day that I feel like the last time I seriously wrote some JavaScript CoffeeScript was cool, um, and that was a while ago. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a different world with ES uh, six and all of the different syntax changes that they've made over the years. We're currently bringing a new application or an older application into the future and ditching a lot of the, the old CoffeeScript. And it's amazing how entrenched that was, yeah. you know, a few years ago when we were using that that stack. And as Rubyist, it never felt that foreign to me. But I can mm-hmm. imagine someone that didn't. Sling Ruby on a day to day basis, what they must think of CoffeeScript as JavaScript, as I've also heard it called.
0: (laughs) JavaScript, that's pretty great. (laughs) Um, so what you mentioned, you're mainly working on APIs, and I know you've mentioned to me a little bit about looking at GraphQL and and doing stuff. So I'm curious, coming from a a company like uh, GitHub, where we've mentioned, you know, uh, many a times, because normally when I have guests or some of my co-hosts, we talk about the new hotness, and I'm like, let me me Google what Rails 5 has in it, because uh, it's not something that I've been uh, doing in my day job. And so I'm curious, you know, what you think the... uh, or at least at work right now, or just sort of in you know in your world, what you think building an API looks like. What you think building an API looks like with Ruby, if that's like uh, the thing, or Ruby and Rails, or sort of where where are you at with uh, you know spinning up an API uh, for you know your current work or just in general?
1: Yeah, you, you know, there's so many variables that go into that that question of choosing tools, and yeah. it's a function of the current. Investments you've got, and in, in where your business logic lies, and you know it's a different um, proposition altogether. If you're starting greenfield, of what tools would I choose if I had nothing to build off of? What would a, the latest and greatest stack look like? The one that solves the problems the best? But that seems like it's never the case. You always have an investment that you've got to bring along, um, and you know, our current gig is is no different. We've got. Tons of business logic. Uh, ironically, in Ruby, but not in Active Record. We have it in SQL. Okay. Which I've been using Ruby for over 10 years now, and this is my first foray into SQL, spelled like a movie sequel, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's in that uncanny valley where it's just similar enough to Errol and Active Record to f- make you think you know what you're doing, and then <laughs> you hit a sharp edge, and you're like, yeah, that's not the same. Um, so... That's kind of the data access side of things. We're also in Sinatra, uh, which tends to be a popular choice for building APIs in Ruby. But uh, we've had this conversation before. Where it seems like all Sinatra apps lead to a Rails app at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, if I were starting from scratch, I don't know that I would choose Sinatra over Ruby unless I knew this was a micro of microservices and gonna stay small forever. Yeah. But you know, GraphQL changes a lot of things in. As much as I've been invested in rest and the Fielding School of, of restful <laughs> design, you know, over the years, it, it's been kind of a, a uh, transformation over the last few mo- months. Trying to figure out what does GraphQL do for UIs? What's it do for mm-hmm. your business logic? Then. Mm-hmm. I guess I was on board um, before leaving GitHub as you were leading the team that were building building out all of the uh, GraphQL API at GitHub. Uh, but it didn't really, it didn't click for me personally uh, until I was in the trenches and building something and seeing the power of having that flow all the way to the front end, especially if you can take advantage of React and something yeah. that pairs with it so well on the front end, which we're doing. But one of the things that I'm loving about GraphQL is it for the most part is the abstraction layer that we always wanted on top of the backend where we could offer up the entire backend in a kind of a la carte fashion. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be one of the selling points of GraphQL. There's always the, the marketing points that seem to be popular around a new technology. And that's what piques your interest and draws you in. And then you realize the real value lies, lies elsewhere. And so with GraphQL, one of the things that was always shared with me was you can get just what you want from the back end and not have to get this huge request payload coming across the wire. And that's definitely true. But for me, I think the light bulb moment was it's kind of a mind set change from – restful nouns and fields to verbs and rpc which is almost back to the future i've got some old curmudgeons you know (laughs) up the road for me when i have this conversation with them they say is it just rpc well yes yes it is but uh, it's kind of like pant leg length and and width right it's skinny the boot cut and back again um but one of the things that is i guess been um pleasantly surprising of getting into GraphQL is if you have a field that you're exposing and suddenly you need to to provide an argument for that field now suddenly it's just another function It functions all the way mm-hmm. down right yeah and it, it maps pretty well with stitching together different parts of the back end and providing a unified view for the UI developer
0: I think, though, that at least like, you know, thinking of, say, Sinatra, where hypothetically speaking, you, uh, Sinatra and SQL, let's say, which, or hypothetically speaking, you have, like you said, your HTTP noun and your path and, um, you know, and then you have this sort of method body that you are going to go collect the necessary records and then, you know, uh, serialize it into JSON or whatever. Um, and that, uh, that that viewpoint in the world basically lets you have a lot more um, I guess kind of like clarity, like, you know, if it's slash, um, dogs, like, you know, the thing that's getting returned is going to be dogs. And, um, like there's some natural, uh, clarity to the overall code structure, I think, Uh, you know, but if what I found with GraphQL in writing in that way, where you're basically just, um, resolving the objects, like you're just, no matter where we are in the query or whatever, we're getting, the dog right now, or the dogs right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I I found that... a need for like a better best practice in terms of how to keep those resolvers clean and how to make sure that when you improve that resolver, that the underlying sort of data access, like if you improve, if you make the resolver faster, that it's going to work uh, over the entire system. And like you said, you know, you add an argument, which is ultimately just a function. And then that function might be shared amongst multiple things. Like the thing that I've found um, kind of interesting is making a clear mapping of what you're like where you're trying to get this data how you're massaging it how you're going to return it and you had mentioned to me uh, uh, a week or so ago like kind of two things like a lot of the stuff that you've been doing has been basically feeling kind of like a map reduce in every one of these resolvers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then um also it's just something that i've also felt a lot of is really wishing you had a language that was already typed because it would have helped you (laughs) a lot better. Um, So I'm kind of curious if you like agree, I I feel like the, like you said, the marketing with the GraphQL um, stuff is sort of um, really like product engineer or consumer focused, I think. Um, You know, this is gonna be better for you. And I think that's entirely true. And I think that we are still in the phase of like, GraphQL is great to build, but it does sometimes feel like dropping in a bunch of RPCs and not really entirely knowing how to organize your code to make it feel um, like there's only a single thing being done in every place. I'm curious if you've uh, felt that way. And, and I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, have, I have some feeling that Ruby causes some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious, you know, I'm curious what you think.
1: Yeah, definitely. We've evolved our approach even the few months that we've been doing this for probably three or four iterations now and still trying to kind of grope our way and figure out what the optimal amount of code reuse and and clarity is as we map out what a resolver is. But it has turned out for at least the data that we're exposing to be sort of that map-reduce pattern and a set of resolvers that... um, we have some base functionality that's shared between them, but it, it essentially boils down to getting getting a a set of records, uh, filtering those records, ordering those records, uh, limiting those records, and then returning them uh, back to the, to the client. And mm-hmm. what's I guess pretty cool about how GraphQL fits into the equation is we can iterate pretty quickly on the back end and via Mm -hmm. types and a interface and a spec that we have with the front end. We we know we haven't broken anything, um, which is there was a promise of that in REST, but in practice, I don't think it ever quite bore out. um, Where you know, I'm I'm curious if we didn't have the investment in the business logic that's in Ruby now, what sort of stack would I choose yeah. uh, if I were building this out? And I almost wonder, and this is purely speculation, but I almost wonder if, if it wouldn't be more of a polyglot stack or a, a hybrid where you had a language that was really good at taking the queries in from GraphQL and just dispatching them to the RPC calls to, to back whatever field and, and type that you're trying to resolve uh, and speak maybe gRPC to the back end on some of that, something that's ultra portable where you're not invested in. You have a, a protocol between GraphQL layer and the, and the back end, just like you have between the front end uh, mm-hmm. and the, the middle tier via GraphQL. Uh, we're using gRPC um, to hit a lot of our different um, heterogeneous back end technologies. That has its own problems, since some of those are legacy. And Jason, you know, <laughs> JSON uh, you know, has been kind of the lingua franca for quite a while now. Where you just parse some JSON and you have just enough typing to pass along to the next tier. And trying to pull something unstructured like that through gRPC is kind of hard, because just even describing kind of an unstructured document in IDL is difficult. Which mm-hmm. probably means that you know, you're missing some design in the in the process somewhere, but it working with legacy systems, I guess that's where some of the complications come in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that, you know, it's been, it's been interesting to kind of watch the community, uh, grow, you know, with GraphQL and there's a GraphQL summit coming up, um, I believe in October, um, in San Francisco. And, um, it, it, I'd love to I'd love to hear from more Ruby shops, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like Shopify has given a couple talks and essentially what they have done with GraphQL is really lean into like active record or active model and kind of making things act like active model even though they're ultimately graphql resolvers which is kind of like the you know the let's make this more comfortable for rails developers approach you know um which i think which i think is paid off dividends for them but there's always that sort of question i know we've talked about this in the past of just like well, we, we see this promised land where we have this line in the sand between, you know, the application and data access, you know, where we, we can make changes to the back end or make changes to how we store or get at the data and nothing's going to change. Um, but when you sort of couple the ORM or couple, uh, you know, um, I guess really just like the data data access or data model in the front the front of GraphQL to the back of GraphQL, um, I think that you know could cause some problems. But that's one of those things where like I'm not entirely sure anyone, maybe even possibly including Facebook, I guess in some way, has gotten to that promised land mm-hmm. quite yet. Like Facebook cheated and already had a okay. sort of clear data access model before they started to use uh, GraphQL. Um, but I think that it's, uh, I, th- I think it's one of those interesting things, like you said, where the, you know, the IDL and the approach of writing resolvers can be a little bit tricky, but, um, but. Short of leaving Ruby or short of leave you know leaving Rails, where you put some stuff in Go or Rust or whatever, and then you know put some other stuff in Ruby, and you put some you know the actual application can stay in Rails or maybe it moves to Node or whatever. Um, I think more applications are kind of headed that way, but um, I- I'm not sure that most folks kind of starting on a project or having invested you know uh, let's just say 10 years in a Rails application, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know it's uh, it becomes difficult to kind of make that. Uh, slice and dice choice, I guess and, you know leave that leave that rails monolith.
1: I'm hopeful with some of the proposed changes in the Ruby GraphQL gem that we can get away from the DSL driven approach that we're currently using to implement mm-hmm. a schema and just write vanilla schema and have types that back that. I think that would be uh, a lot less opaque to the average yeah. Ruby developer.
0: So I'm curious, I, I kind of want to talk about this maybe a little bit, uh, more high level though, because I, I've talked to Robert, um, uh, you know, the, the gem author of GraphQL Ruby, he works at GitHub uh, as well. And we talked a little bit about leaving the DSL and he's definitely, you know, pro leaving the DSL, but it led to some interesting conversations with both him and others around, like, I, I feel like the Ruby DSL, uh, like apocalypse is here kind of like. When we, when we, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to speak for both of us, but I feel like when I started in Rails, like the the big glory of it in 1.0 or whatever was everything was like you just write a DSL, you write this beautiful, cheaty thing using metaprogramming, and now like everything just acts the way that humans would think of it, and it's very comfortable and it contains all your business logic. But I'm finding like that most like I guess less and less uh, of the newer gems that come out, you know, to, to do one thing or really trying to do too many, like too much trickery with DSLs. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of it tends to be like, okay, call this method with some arguments and it'll do thing. And that is it. Um, I'm curious if you kind of feel the same way or have seen that in your experience. Um, Cause it definitely feels like DSLs, like proposing that, for example, um, like proposing a really, really rich uh, DSL set would be, maybe come off poorly um nowadays yeah and i think
1: it's maybe just a evolution in the ruby community when you have a a language that's expressive and as um i guess dave thomas said as beautifully ugly (laughs) as ruby (laughs) right um you can do some powerful things from a dsl standpoint but it raises the barrier of entry to people that are new to the language i have some Mm -hmm. colleagues on our team that are really accomplished python developers and stepping into the ruby world they're like what sort of dark arts is this (laughs) and uh that's just at the 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 most base dsl level within within graphql but i don't think it's a graphql gem problem by any stretch right um i mean we had a dsl for doing authorization tests in a project that you and i worked on and Mm -hmm. uh I've got to say my fingerprints are all over that, which if you understand it, it is extremely dry and makes it uh, a lot easier to to do what you're trying to do. If you don't understand it, you just kind of want to punt because you don't want to get your head around what's going on, So which yeah. probably points to a bad abstraction. But Ruby allows you to... I mean, it's a very sharp two-edged sword, right? I mean, I had a tweet this last week around... Just as a prototype, I was uh, changing the state shape of a GraphQL call and needed to essentially divide two time series by each other so naturally i could override the divide operator and the multiply operator and all four operators for a particular ruby class and when i showed that to the colleagues that were coming from the python world they were like what what how How does this even work right (laughs) Um, and you know future me would be probably hating on myself or if i left that in production but that's the power of Ruby, but it's also um, very dry code. Can also lead to very clever code, which is probably not the best in the long run. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah I've 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 been curious. I've I've been curious, sort of, just over time. It just it it feels like we're, yeah, like it becomes more comfortable to get obvious. You know, like I mm-hmm. feel like I'm seeing more um, sort of comments like uh, that's too clever. You know, like, let's just do the thing that everyone's going to completely understand or whatever. Um, you know, all, all other things being equal, say, like all performance being equal, just, you know, trying to make things. Whereas I feel like, you know, as things have happened, as, as things have matured and, and probably as, you know, Rubius have, have uh, poked around at some of the other, you know, uh, Ruby adjacent languages, I guess you know Ruby-like or Ruby-ish languages, um, have gotten a little bit more comfortable. But it definitely feels like the the uh, again, yeah, no, uh, no, no shade on GraphQL Ruby at all. Um, but just it definitely feels like most folks are sort of leaving that magical uh, DSL. Um, and going towards something that feels a bit more obvious.
1: I wonder how much of that is just as an industry, we're no longer as tone deaf to beginners as we once were. I know when I started developing, it was almost this um, Gnostic approach to trying to find esoteric knowledge to yeah. advance in your career. Usually it meant um, <laughs> certain bash incantations that everybody just knew what they did, and you're like, yeah. oh, I have no idea what this means. Uh, one of them that comes to mind in the Ruby community was, I remember the first time I was building an admin interface, and the simple 2-proc Mm-hmm. syntax or it's the ampersand and colon and whatever the name of the method you want to call in a block which is totally ungoogleable <laughs> <laughs> right and the first time you see it you're like how does it even know how do, yeah. I, what and yeah. and so that's the sort of thing that that little one-liner is an incredible productivity boost but it's also a barrier for the person that comes behind you that doesn't know what that does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I just, just today I was, I, I always forget, um, the like array shortcuts like the percent letter you know bracket mm-hmm. or whatever <laughs> and all the other like string all those little shortcuts the string shortcuts i always forget what the letters mean and like trying to google for that list is like it took me a couple times and i was like oh okay i could okay, hear it here it is because uh, I, all those little tricks that you find littered through like any ruby code base of age you know or you know uh, some uh, depending on where you work or if you're in a consultancy you know sometimes those things are just very standard and so uh trying to find that stuff I I agree with you. I I do think that a lot of it is, you know, suddenly realizing that there's such a cost to joining a code base that the more like simplistic, I guess it can be, uh, even though the business logic can be horribly complex, um, could be valuable. I think that's I think that's a really good point.
1: I'm curious to where you think we are in the Gartner hype cycle. For GraphQL.
0: Oh, my God. We are. See, I don't think we've hit the peak of the hype cycle, yeah. but I think we are. I think we are very high in the, in the hype. Um, I think the thing that we don't have right now is people talking about uh, we wrote it. We have it. It's running. People are using it. And now here's the pain we have. Mm hmm you know, like in especially, especially public stuff, like especially with end consumers who aren't your own employees. Um, And I think, you know, we've done a little bit of that. Shopify's done some of that. Um, There's other companies for sure, for sure, for sure that have have done it and talked about it. Um, But public GraphQL APIs aren't very common. And so to me, the adoption will stagnate uh, incredibly quickly if the public version can't be fixed because no company is going to say, okay, we'll use, well, I don't want to say that. I, I would imagine that the cell will become more difficult if it's, we're going to use GraphQL for ourselves, but then we're going to write a REST API because everyone just gets REST APIs or whatever for, for public, um, you know, for public consumption. I feel like we need to fix that problem uh, soon, you know, and start talking about it better because otherwise I think that the, um the, the boom bust is going to happen a lot faster um you know right now i think that we're probably in the phase where there's enough volume of companies that are using it that you can go to your employer and say oh look shopify's using it they're huge or facebook's using it they're huge like i guess anyone plus facebook um you know you can you can get in on it but um but we haven't really seen a ton of the sort of long term consequences of this system. You know, like rest is is played out nine ways to Sunday. So, mm-hmm. you know, we can we can just know. Oh, well, you know, th- when you go this way, this is a problem you're going to have. Um, but with GraphQL and things like its promise of nothing, you know, you can't ever remove anything. You know, that there's no such thing as a breaking change in GraphQL. Things like that that are pretty nihilistic and um, tend to be tested currently in private settings may become much more difficult to uh keep running in public settings um in ways that i think the community has to has to sort of talk about more uh instead of i feel like currently we're still sort of talking about the here's how to build a GraphQL API, or here's why GraphQL is better than X, Y, Z. And we need to start talking about, I think like how to maintain a GraphQL API and how to evolve a GraphQL API and how to use GraphQL to switch from Ruby to Python or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like those sorts of things I feel like are where we're gonna um, n- like, need to, you know, need to start talking in order for it to become like not a fidget spinner you know, which like is already, as far as I know, I don't know if you if your girl's ever gotten a fidget spinners, oh, but sure. yep. I, I feel like, I feel like we're done. Like, I feel like it's over <laughs> now. Like, if I, if I sent them a fidget spinner, they'd be like, what's, what's this thing?
1: Yep. Our Slack <laughs> has a fidget spinner emoji too, which See? <laughs> probably means where it pick. Yeah, exactly. Spinning. When
0: adults are making emojis in chat, it's, that's when it's all over. So I just, I don't want it to be that because I do think the thing that's really interesting is, you know, is the typing, is the uh, front end aspect of things, is the getting things in the shape that you want and um, allowing me as a back-end engineer to make a lot of changes over mm-hmm. time to how that thing, like how that query ultimately becomes data. Um, but we, you know, everyone can write a REST API right now. Like it's very accessible. It's the thing that everyone's gonna jump to. Um, you know, I, I don't know how long it's going to take for GraphQL to get there, but I definitely don't think, you know, I give a talk about GraphQL and I, I say that it's like, this isn't something where it's like, oh, come hear my talk and tomorrow go build yourself a GraphQL API and launch it and everything's going to be great. It's more like come be interested in this with us, you know, and mm-hmm. and give it a shot, but know full well that like this isn't solved yet. You know, like we're we're, we're still kind of figuring out the rough edges and how to make it, you know keep going.
1: I think you make valid points. I'm wondering if you might be closer to the bubble than most having operated a public API in GraphQL for some time now. I, I find when I'm having the conversation, I'm still wearing my I Heart GraphQL sandwich board and beating my <laughs> drum and still getting a lot of blank stares where people aren't opposed to the message. They're just not familiar with it yet. Sure. And I think when it comes to the maturation of the ecosystem, we're looking at kind of a split on the front end and then on the back end. And on the front end, the tooling, though most seems to be in JavaScript, is pretty mature so far. Um, on the back end, it's sort of the Wild West, especially in the Ruby space in which we operate. And there's some languages, JavaScript being one, that has some maturation there. But there's a lot of really... Early frameworks and some of the very popular languages, and I'm curious of how that's going to mature over the next year or two years. That are going to solve some of these problems, and you know, problems are opportunities. I think mm-hmm. um, if you are heavily invested in a single-page application type setup where JavaScript's running everything on the front end, it's kind of hard not to to at least bet on GraphQL to stitch all that together there's it's not a silver bullet and there's some pain depending on what sort of data you're serving up to the front end but as far as like crud operations that most applications do it's kind of hard to beat a one-stop shop for all your data
0: yeah and i mean there's all kinds of interesting problems like with parsing the IDL and mm-hmm. promises in Ruby, you know, and things like that where GraphQL really wants you to, you know, basically uh, look through a query and then go, okay, I'm going to chop this up into 15 units and go do all of those at the same time. And Ruby's like, uh, I could do that. Right. <laughs> uh, but I really wish you wouldn't make me do that. <laughs> you know, and it's and, amazing
1: that you can even have that option now though, sure, to, sure. To, to look at the AST of the query coming in and saying, let me make this in the most efficient manner, whereas before you would just rub some cash on it and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, our buddy Garan has created the IDO parser in and Rust. And I was encouraged mm-hmm. to see the philosophy behind that. It's like we need some shared logic yeah. <laughs> across projects instead of everybody re implementing the wheel. And something like parsing, I think makes a lot of sense to do that in a typed static typed language that we could then just leverage in a bunch of different backends. And so having that back the Ruby Gym, I think makes a lot of sense. I'm hoping that a lot of the tooling goes to that type mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of setup. I mean, look at what libgit did with Git and some others that, you know, now we have the same logic, lib being another one. They have the same logic executing behind the scenes no matter what your binding language is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that I think that the community uh in order, in order for like the hype cycle to not, cause I think, what, oh man, there's like a graph and I, I never remember the name of it, but it's basically like the early adopters are on one end and then like corporate users are on the other or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the thing right now is we're still definitely in the area where it's um, people willing to put up with shitty tools because they see the promise of this thing. Um, and uh, you know, I be, and I think what we need to get ultimately get to as a group is like make it so that the tools, like the building a GraphQL backend is as good or as fun or as reasonable as consuming a GraphQL API, cause it's definitely not there now. Um, and again, that's no shade on anyone that wrote any libraries in the backend because like, you know, this is a, a very complicated problem, especially when you're sort of putting it into languages that don't really want it to be that way. Um, but, but it's something that I think will will be necessary for, you know, mass adoption uh over time you know i think like there's you know things like factories even in rails right like those early libraries were super dsle and very kind of weird but they were like a little bit better than fixtures so everyone was kind of like all right i'm gonna deal with this and then over time that stuff got better um behavior driven um uh you know testing uh got better over time because you know uh i feel like it it got to the point where it was better to do it. It was just as good as writing the front end code in a way and things and people intended to enjoy it. But I think that's where we end up getting to with, um, with rails is everyone sort of expects like every part of writing code in, in rails should be just as enjoyable, I guess, as the next. And when one isn't as enjoyable, it feels really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's only 1% bad worse, you know, it feels disgusting because the rest of it feels so, you know, joyful, I guess for lack of a better term. Um, and I, th- I think that's kind of the the, the technology thing because you know, there, folks folks can learn about GraphQL and, and sort of be sold on the promise of why it's better. And then I think it's one of the things where you have to use it right now to really understand it. You can't just sort of be explained it and go, oh yeah, that does sound better. Let's use that. Um, but, but I think... Uh, we need to stop people from fleeing when things get a little bit gross under the hood, uh, and hopefully, um, you know, more and more uh, devs can sort of put their heads together like Garin did, uh, and come up with ways that are better and ways that can be shared amongst languages. Um, since you know, GraphQL is lucky that a lot of it is not language specific.
1: You make a great point, especially for your audience that is probably more immersed in Rails than the average engineering team. One of the things that we're doing in building our GraphQL API, it's coming out of a Sinatra app that's separate from our Rails application. So if we were doing this in the middle of Rails, I wonder how disjointed it might feel. Um, Mm -hmm. You mentioned the churn of the tools. I I think maybe since the center of gravity for GraphQL kind of overlaps the most, um, the largest part is with the the JavaScript community, which is used to churn yeah. anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I wonder if there's some some grace that's being extended there. Uh, but from a Ruby standpoint, it does feel like something grafted onto your Ruby web application. And I'm another reason I'm hopeful of the change in approach that is being proposed in the GraphQL gem, where you go spec first and then types that back it. That kind mm-hmm. of feels like what you're doing when you're building a web application in Rails, where you have endpoints in a web application with either HTTP method and a resource path and here are the controllers and the actions that back those. I kind of want the same thing. Those patterns, they don't have to be my patterns as long as there's a pattern where I don't have to figure out how to do this. I can just yeah, figure out yeah. you know <laughs> what needs to be done and then come yeah. in. And the same way that I can jump into any Rails application and for the most part know where things are was a game changer for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really want that from a GraphQL to GraphQL application.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that is completely true and something I know that we don't have yet. <laughs> um, I, it's, it, I feel like that's kind of like the developer nerd war story thing right now where it's like, how do you, how do you organize your stuff? Like, do you have folders for all this stuff? And what does that look like? You know, we're still kind of there. So it'll take time, but I, I, am I'm, I'm confident in it, um, long term, but I am, I am curious to kind of see how long it'll take before we, um, it feels like we're leaving the you know new shiny thing uh, period of time.
1: I'm curious though of how um, how many of the problems that we're experiencing as Rubius building GraphQL are unique to Rubius building GraphQL? Yeah, um, it might come back to just the concurrency model that we've got within the language that makes threading and concurrent calls difficult at best. That in other languages. You know, like a Go routine would solve a lot of problems that we can sure. get backgrounding jobs for, right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, some of the hoops that we jumped through. To build GraphQL in Ruby, I wonder if other frameworks are experiencing the same difficulties
0: well we'll just wait for the next version of ruby and <laughs> right it, it'll be good <laughs> uh, i mean to be honest though like you know kind of like shoulder shrug who knows like that could be the like that could be the solution like there you know i have been following all of the the jokes and uh the the serious efforts to make to make ruby more you know uh concurrent uh but like nowadays like you know that that could just be it. Like that could like, especially for uh, say uh, GitHub, right? Like with all the stuff that we've written, and then we are able to move to concurrency or to Ruby three or four or whatever that introduces a better model. Uh, you know, uh, with a lot, a lot, a lot of work, mm-hmm. that you know things could uh, significantly change in how it's like operated and built, right? Um, but I think we're I think we're not really uh you know we're not really quite there yet, and I think that's kind of why you know the reference specification for graphql server is in javascript the data loader um, project which facebook kind of uses to do like batch data loading with graphql is in javascript like everything is just there because it's the you know like you said it's just sort of this become the standard language regardless of the you know quote-unquote joy of using rails um in all in you know the sort of accessibility i guess uh in some in some way uh, of ruby is now it's just assumed that uh in rpg speak that javascript is common tongue and everyone just speaks common now uh and that's uh and that's that
1: you mentioned earlier in the conversation around wanting a more typed language to back some of these things the concurrency model is one of the i guess the aspects of choosing a language and how you're going to serve up data through your your api but. Having types, again, in GraphQL is kind of, yeah, I came from a C-sharp background before I came into Ruby, and one of the things I liked about Ruby was its uh, dynamism and, and being able to um, run an, an application and just save the the buffer and refresh the browser and not have to go through a whole build process. But there's certain times where there's you just want types, you want compile time checking, right? And mm-hmm. having interfaces and actual types in your spec there's a lot of times where I long for the same sort of thing in the implementation language, and a recurring pattern that seems to happen as we're talking over PRs, as we're implementing things. We'll say, "I think we're missing an interface here," which is kind of. A unique conversation to have when you're implementing Ruby types, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, Especially, especially when you're those interfaces or those unions or whatever are right. sitting on top of these uh, not so perfect Ruby objects or Active Record models or whatever. Um, yeah, I can. I completely agree. <laughs> Um, since we talked a fair bit about uh, uh, GraphQL uh, today, and I know I know I've brought it up in the past on the podcast, but we haven't really sort of done such a tech-heavy uh, discussion for folks uh, listening at home. Um, you can go check out GraphQL.org, org, um, which talks a lot about what we talked about. So if you, um, I'll mention this at the top of the show as well, but um, give that a look. Uh, it has a lot of easy ways to kind of give um, you know understand kind of what we're talking about uh, even if you've never built uh, a graphql uh, api before and i will link to the graphql ruby gem in our show notes um win thank you so much for joining me on uh this uh, awesomely uh, technical discussion of uh, GraphQL (laughs) on accident, I feel like I'm kind of like this, uh, I don't know, black hole of GraphQL, where (laughs) every discussion just sort of accidentally kind of moves this way, but. Totally my pleasure. It's been fun to
1: geek out and talk about something that uh, we've shared kind of, maybe disjointed timelines of of adoption. (laughs) I remember when you first started talking to me about it, my eyes kind of glazed over. I was like, I kind of see the point, but there's that light bulb moment as you're implementing one of these things that you're, you start to see the, uh, the appeal and hopefully become a true believer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying, I'm trying to reel in my light kid on Christmas morning when I talk to people like, no, you don't understand dad. It's like, you know, this is the newest thing. Um, getting a little bit better. (laughs) Um, awesome. Well, thanks Wynn. uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show soon. Look forward to it.